to In the Word with Pastor Don Haskins, where we open up the Bible to see what God's Word says and how it might apply to our lives. Our prayer is that you allow Jesus to change you from the inside out. And now, today's lesson. Second Corinthians chapter 5. What we see is... Uh, I, I wanted to say this passage is pregnant with truth. And I thought, nah, pregnant is not necessarily the right word that I want to use from the pulpit. So, uh, and then I thought, well, no, this, this, uh, this, this passage is engorged with biblical you know, golden nuggets. And engorged is kind of a negative word. And so in light of, of you know, Christine and, and Ashlyn and the Calvary Chapel School down in Mexico, for all of our Spanish-speaking friends, it's like a pinata filled with delectable goodies. All right? There are so many great verses in this passage. Verses that mean so much and verses that, that uh, if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you're going to go, oh, it's, that's, that's where this verse came from? Oh, that's where this verse came from? There's a lot of memory verses in chapter 5. But as we make our way through, the last time we were together in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we were talking about death. Kind of a weird, kind of a few subject matters over the last couple of weeks. Well, we talked about death two weeks ago and blood last week. What are we going to talk about this week? You know, um, you know, decomposition? You know, no, no, we're not going to do that. But in the passage, the last time we were together, Paul, he was talking. He says, listen, and I'm just going to back up into um, verse uh, seven. For we walk by faith and not by sight. And we are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well pleasing to Him or to Christ. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Before I get into this day's message in in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, what we see here is that Paul's saying, hey, we're walking today when he was writing this letter. It's something that we can appropriate to our own lives today. We can look at this passage and say, well, how do we take such an old writing and make it new? Make it current. How is it that we can read this current with a current frame of mind? And, and I don't think it's hard at all. Because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There is, there is no difference in the Lord. There is the same God of the Old Testament and the New Testament. If you want to hear a little bit about that, you can look back to our two weeks ago message. But here's the thing. The same message and the same that Lord that, that Paul was living for back in the days of his letter to the, to the Corinthians. It's, it's the same Lord that we're living for today. The words that he's saying, hey, we walk by faith and not by sight. I had shared last uh, time we were together in this passage that my pastor Chuck Smith used to say, faith is the currency 
of heaven and God wants us to be wealthy people. What he means by that is that God wants us to learn how to walk by faith. Anything else, if, if we say, well, I'll believe if I see. Well, that's not belief. That's not faith. There's no, there's no element of faith in believing if you see it. If, if you have to see something to believe something, there is no element of faith. Uh, that's logic. That's called logic or that's called reason because you see it. You can tangibly see it and feel it and touch it, maybe smell it, taste it. Though you wouldn't want to just taste someone, you know. The thing is, is that when we have to see something, when we have to visibly see something physically in order to actually believe it, we're no longer walking by faith. We're, lo- we're walking by logic or we're walking by reason. By reason. But Paul says, no, we're not walking by reason. He says we walk by faith and not by, not by sight. There is an element of faith that is required in order to be a Christian. And, and that is the stumbling stone for many people who don't believe in the Lord. It's because if I can't see him, then I won't believe him. I, I won't believe him. I can't see electricity, and yet I believe in electricity. I can't see gravity, and yes, yet I believe in gravity. There's a lot of things I can't see that I believe. And I know that that would break down as you move in and you describe and you define the terms and what have you. The element of the Lord is that God is requiring a level of faith in order for us to be saved. Jesus said, as we talked about the last time, to Thomas, remember Jesus rose from the dead, he was, he was crucified, he was beaten and crucified. Thomas watched it from afar. And, and three days later, the disciples, ten of the twelve disciples, Judas being dead, Thomas being missing somewhere, not with the other ten, ten of the disciples are in the upper room, locked behind the door because they're freaking out and they're afraid for their lives. And all of a sudden, Jesus appears in the midst of them. He says, peace, be still. You know, it's me. And they freaked out. They were just blown away. And they ended up going and finding Thomas and saying, Thomas, Thomas, Jesus, he appeared to us. The one that we watched crucified, who was crucified and killed, he came to us in the upper room. And Thomas, I can only imagine what he's saying. I know you guys. I don't believe you. In fact, Thomas, we call him Doubting Thomas because Thomas says, I will not believe unless I what? I see what? His wounds in his hands. Or unless I put my hand in his side or my fingers in the wounds of his hand. I will not believe. Paul says, that's not how we walk. That's not how a Christian is supposed to walk. That only by sight will we walk with the Lord. Will we, will we uh, give our allegiance and pledge our allegiance unto the Lord only if I can see, only if I can feel, smell, or experience. I have to have something in front of me in order to walk with the Lord. 
But you remember, it was just a couple of days later that, that Jesus, that the disciples were all together again. Thomas is like, hey, I'm not leaving these other ten guys' sides because, hey, Jesus appeared to them once. Maybe he'll appear again. And so they're up in the upper room again and Jesus appears to him again and Thomas is with them the next time. And Jesus says, Thomas, he points him out. He calls out to him. He says, Thomas, come and put your finger. Isn't that what you said? You wouldn't believe me unless you stuck your finger in my hands or your hand in my side. Come here and take your finger and put it in my hand. Take your hand and put it in my side where the lance went in. Where that spear went into my side. You come and you do that. The Bible doesn't say that Thomas actually did it. Thomas, he says, oh, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. Thomas, he sees and he believes And Jesus said at that time, he says, Thomas, because you see, you believe, more blessed are they who believe without seeing. That's what Jesus said. Those were Jesus' words to you and I. I'm convinced that he was thinking of you and I. Because I am not going to minimize any of you and say, you know what, you haven't seen Jesus. I don't know, maybe some of you have. I personally haven't seen Jesus, and yet I've given my life to him. I haven't seen him. I haven't tangibly touched Jesus. I haven't actually sat down in a room and had a face-to-face conversation with a physical Jesus. I haven't. I haven't heard an audible voice. I, I can't say that I've, I've, I've seen any of those things or heard any of those things or experienced anything physical. And yet I believe. I've given my life to him. I'm a pastor because of it. Not because, you know, anybody has to be a pastor. No, this is just, this is the greatest thing since sliced bread, man. This is not even better than sliced bread. This is great to be able to tell people about Christ. To be able to teach people about what the Word of God says. To be able to point us and point myself, point my family, point you to Jesus. I love doing this. And I do it without actually seeing. And Paul says that's, the faith that, that hangs the life of a Christian is, is that, that the life of a Christian hangs on, and that is believing without seeing. Thomas, because you see, you believe. I'm telling you, Jesus said to Thomas, there are those that will believe without seeing, and they will be more blessed than you are, Thomas. Now, would you think that? Think about that for a second. Would you think that you seeing Jesus, putting your finger in his hands, putting your hand into a side where the hole is, would you think that you'd be more blessed because you actually saw the risen Lord? Because you actually saw the risen Jesus? Would you think that you're more blessed than someone who has never seen Jesus? Well, that's kind of how we would think. I mean, if we're just being truthful and honest, right? We'd kind of think, hey, you know what? If that person was here in the room, we'd go, there's, you know, Billy. Billy. Or let's call him Tommy. His name's Tommy. Tommy comes to our church. Oh yeah, Tommy got to put his finger in the hands of Jesus and his hand in the side of Jesus. He's the guy that got to see Jesus. And because he seen Jesus and because he did that, well, now I believe in Jesus. Really? Really? Is that what our faith is going to be based upon? A Johnny? Or a Tommy? <laughs> Keep changing his name. Is that what our faith is going to be based on? 
God doesn't want our faith to be based on anyone other than himself. And, and Paul says, we are, we are living for Christ. We're living for him. We're walking by faith. We don't have to actually see the tangible. We just need to know that we're walking in the words of what Christ would have us to walk. According to what the word of God would say, in Old Testament, Paul would be saying, we make it our absent, or we make it our aim, he says in verse 9, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to God, to be well-pleasing to the Lord. Why? Because that's who my life is wrapped up in. As a Christian, as an individual, as a human being, does it not make sense to have your life wrapped up in the Creator of the human race? And therein lies, if He's the one that created you, and I know that we look back and we have scripture references that will take us back. And Jeremiah talks about, you know, the potter and the clay. He's the potter, we're the clay. It's an illustration to say that God is the, is the potter. He forms and fashions you and I into whoever it is that he wants us to be. And, and he, he does it as he pleases. And, and so we, we kind of look at a, a clay pot, or we look at something that's clay. Like this is a clay, uh, a, a clay cup. You know, put on a little wheel, you know, and it goes out and the potter goes in there and digs all the junk out and makes this. And then they put all this little stuff on, put it into a pot, into a, into a kiln and they fire it to a, whatever degrees they have to and it comes out nice and hard. And so this is a clay vessel that the potter made. I know, we know the potter. He's been here before. Mike Rozell. He's the one who made this. At least we think, you know. Maybe he has a bunch of little, you know, elves that make all the little things. I don't know. But here's the thing. When we consider the potter making clay pieces, and we identify with that as the potter making our own life, as the Lord making our own life, we don't take necessarily into consideration all the makeup that goes into it. Here's the thing. This, this is just clay. It's just clay. But when you think of us, you think of our composition. You think of our, just this last you know, couple of weeks studying blood is absolutely fascinating. Do yourself a favor and study blood for a, just, just for a few days. It'll blow your mind. The Creator, God, He's the one that created the blood. He created you. He created me. Not just the outer shell that we see, but all the inner working parts that must all work perfectly together in order for the whole being to work properly. The intricacies of the human body that even in 2017, we don't yet fully understand the body. And yet God is the one who created it. He's the potter. We're the vessels. 
We're the pots. We're the, we're, the, we're the vessels that he makes. And Paul, he's saying, hey, we're gonna, I'm going to live for him. And those that are around me, we're living for him. We're living for him. We make it our aim, whether we're with you or whether we're away from you, to be pleasing to him because he's the potter. We're the vessels. We all must uh, appear before the judgment seat. We talked about that. The judgment seat of Christ, that word judgment seat right there is bima. Bima toss. The bima seat judgment, the bima judgment. He's talking to believers here. And so he's talking about there's a judgment seat that's coming for believers. There's two judgment seats. We talked about that last time. I don't have time to get into it. Other than to say there's two different judgment seats that all human beings will come before. Those who are saved are going to come before this judgment seat of Christ. A Bema seat judgment. That each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And so we'll, we'll be judged upon our life as a Christian. We'll be rewarded accordingly in heaven. But then there's another judgment. Uh, the great white throne judgment. In the Greek, the great white throne judgment found in Revelation chapter 20 is in the Greek is megas lukion, lukio, I'm sorry, lukio, Thronos, Thronos, great white throne. Obviously broken down, great megas is huge, it's big, it's grand. The white is a brilliant, blinding, loud light. And the throne is a place where judgment is reserved for those from whom judgment is cast is, is delivered to those that approach before it. This great white throne judgment, what we find in Revelation chapter 20, this grand, loud, blinding light of a throne, the purity of this throne, those who stand before that throne, all that stand before that throne, will be taken and cast out. They'll be cast out. Nobody who stands before the great white throne judgment, I believe, is going to go to heaven. They're going to be cast into the lake of fire where Hades and death, where the devil and his angels are at the moment, at that time. But they'll be cast with death and Hades and, and they'll be cast there, that this place that was prepared for the devil and his angels. It's not a place that God ever wanted to put a man Never wanted to put a human being. The Bible tells us very clearly, God is not willing that any would perish, but that all should come to repentance. But even as we understand that term, that, that phrase, God is not willing that any would perish, but, all should come to, but that all should come to repentance, means that there has to be a decision upon the, a human body or a human person has got to come, a human being has got to come to a place where they make a decision 
to whether they want to follow the Lord or whether they want to not follow the Lord. And, and there's not a place in there for indecision. There's not a third decision. There is either you are for me or you are against me. There is not a, well, I haven't yet decided. If you are, I have not yet decided, you are still against him until you have consciously decided to follow. There is no middle ground. There's not a third choice. There's two choices. There's two roads. One, there's two gates. One that leads to life and one that leads to destruction. Narrow is the gate that leads to life and very few there are who, fall, who, who go that way. But wide and ne- wide is the gate that leads to destruction and many there are who go that way. And so few and narrow go to life. Wide and many go to destruction. But it's not God's design. God didn't design man to go. It's a conscious decision that one has to make. And Paul says, we make it our aim to be pleasing to the Lord. Because we understand from where we came from. We understand what life is about. We understand that He has placed a call upon our life. How about you? Do you understand the call that's placed upon your life? It's not simply just to waste oxygen here on the earth. It's not simply to, to, to grow up, get married, have babies, you know, have a home, you know, grow up and continue on in your job, liking it or not liking it, retiring and getting an RV and moving to Florida. And then dying. That's not what life is about. Now, that might be some things that you do in life, but that's not ever the goal. The goal in life is to honor and please the one who created you. It's It's God. There's a reason, those of you who were around back in 2001, those of you that were around even back in the days of the Persian Gulf War, you remember those days? I think that those were birth pangs of signifying the end of of days. I believe that they were birth pangs. Jesus said, just as a woman in childbirth, in labor, so will it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Her labor pangs are going to be more intense and more frequent as the time gets closer. And when those things happened, churches were filled with people. Because all of a sudden, people weren't really caring too much about their, you know, 401k, their boat, their plane, their vacation spots. What people were concerned about was, okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. Things are getting hot, man. Things are getting real. What's happening? Where am I with the Lord? What's God doing right now? And I'm, I, I made it this far. And if, if it's really going down right now, I want to be ready. I want to be ready. And so churches were packed. Where I went to church out in California, there was standing room only in that 15,000 member church that I was in. You couldn't get in and find a seat. Because people were all over the place, standing. Because they're afraid, hey, it's time, it's, it, it's the end, it's the end. Jesus is coming back, Jesus is coming back. I want to make sure that I'm ready. But then when Jesus didn't come back immediately, the crowd started thinning out, and the church began to thin out. And people go, ah, all right, ah, false alarm, false alarm. He's not coming, so now I can go back to being who I used to be, who I used to be. Pleasing or not pleasing to the Lord? 
Anyone? Not. God's not desiring just simple foxhole Christians. When you get in the battle, I'm going to follow you, Lord. But when I'm not in a battle, ah, I might acknowledge you. Paul says, that's not who we are. That's not what my life is. My life is wrapped up in the Lord. We're going to make it our aim to be well-pleasing to the Lord. Because you know what? Here's the thing. I know that one day we all will be appearing before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And so Paul, he makes a case here, beginning in verse 11, as he has laid down this foundation, he goes, Now, knowing therefore, think about it, think about it, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. What is God capable of? Anything. Anything. When we think of, 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 of judgment, the great white throne judgment, and we think of God saying, depart from me, I never knew you. That's what Jesus said. We know that. Matthew chapter 12, 7, right? Jesus says, many will come to me in that, Lord, in that day, and they're going to say, Lord, Lord, didn't I... Didn't I do many things in your name? Didn't I cast out devils in your name? Didn't I do many mighty miracles and, and things in your name? And Jesus is going to say to them, and I, Jesus, his own word says, and I will declare to them in that day, depart from me, I never knew you. Not that I knew you once, but then we became estranged. And I, I never knew you. There was never a relationship. There was never a relationship. You never, you, ne- you, you only followed me for, for convenience. You followed me maybe, maybe because your friends were at a place, because you wanted to feel better about your life or something like that. You, you never followed me because you wanted a relationship with me. Those of you who have ever had a relationship with, you know, growing up with a girl or, a, or if you're a guy, you know, whoa, with, with a... You know, with a boy, you know that your relationship with your girlfriend or boyfriend is predicated upon what? Communication, right? Mercy and compassion and relationship and laughter, sadness at times, discussion. Do you remember your very first girlfriend? I do. I remember, you know, growing up back when I was, maybe not my very first girlfriend, but I remember, you know, a girlfriend, you know, growing up that back as a little, little boy on the playground. (laughs) Would you go with me? And she sits there. Yeah. Okay. And then you turn around and you never around each other. You know, I was afraid. She was afraid. We were girlfriend, boyfriend, but we never were spotted with one another. Is that a relationship? It's not a relationship. I will say that I was pretty shallow back in fourth grade. Cherie Sutton. Sorry, Cherie, if you listen to this message. When we were going together... You held my hand. It's the first time a 
a girl ever held my hand in the fourth grade when I was nine years old. It was the destruction of our relationship. I have to say. Because as we held hands to go to the playground at lunch, I'm feeling, wow, this is awesome. This is, I'm going to marry this girl. She says, oh, hey, can we stop? I got to go to the restroom real quick. Can you just wait here and then we'll go? I said, okay. So we stopped down at the bottom of the ramps before we go up to our playground. And she went into the bathroom. And she came back out and she grabbed a hold of my hand again. They must not have had towels in there or something. Because her hand was wet. I broke up with her that day because I didn't know what kind of liquid was on her hands. I have to say that's the shallowness of me. Cherie and I broke up our engagement off because she didn't dry her hands. I couldn't get over what liquid was on your hands. I couldn't handle it. Couldn't handle it. Yes, I was shallow. But Lynette does dry her hands when she comes out of the bathroom. (laughs) I'm just joking. (laughs) Here's the thing. Here's the thing. A relationship is based upon what? Relationship. Communication. Paul's going, a a relationship is is that that as, as we understand who the Lord is, there is a terror that we don't have to we don't have to endure. There is something that that Christ died on a cross so that I don't have to experience the terror of hearing God say, "Depart from me, I never I never knew you." Paul says, "No, I I am never going to stand before the Lord with with Him casting me off because I have a relationship with Him. It's not because of." Everything I'm doing for him, it's because what he's done for me and my life in relationship responds to what God has done for me through his son, Jesus Christ. And so I'm going to live for him. I'm, my aim is to please him. What is your aim in life? Friend, what is your aim in life? Is your aim in life to please people? You're a people pleaser. Is your aim in life to... Simply please your boss. You're a brown noser. <laughs> is, your, is your aim in life to simply please your wife? You're a smart man. <laughs> if your aim in life, listen, your aim in life is anything other than pleasing the Heavenly Father. Your aim needs to be readjusted. My aim needs to be readjusted. Because here's the thing. When I'm pleasing the Lord, the other things fall into place. I'm going to please my boss because I'm pleasing the Lord. I'm going to do what it is that God's called me to do and that is to submit myself under my boss and and work hard for him. If, If my aim is to please the Lord, well, what God has called me to do is to serve my wife and to bless her. And to minister to her. And to treat her like she is royalty. And love her. Wash her. Minister to her. Here's the thing. If I'm serving the Lord, that's what he's called me to do with my wife. Or he's called you to do with your husband or whatever. And so here's the thing. All of those other things will fall into place if you have your perfect aim 
set first, and that's on the Lord. He says, because here's the thing. If we know that there's God, if we know about God, if we know who He is and we understand that there is a time where we will stand before Him, those will be departing Him because they never knew Him. Others will be going into heaven to be with Him because He died for them. There's two roads. There's two roads. Now therefore, knowing therefore, gang, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we're well known to God. Paul, Paul's saying, knowing the terror of the Lord, it's what, it's what causes us to go out and tell people about Jesus. Gang, as a Christian, it should radically influence our life to go and let other people know about the Christ that we, that we have because He saved us. Because He, he gave Himself for us. And it wasn't just for us, but it's for any who would come, come to Him. We're well known to God. We're well known to God, he says. Because we're living for him. And he's, he's empowering us. And he's, he's leading our steps. And he's placing in our path the, the, the people that he wants us to minister to. He places in our path those that he desires to speak to and to, to minister to. Paul says, we're well known to God. And I also trust we're well known in your consciences. We all know those people, don't we? We know those people who are just gonzo Christians. They talk to everybody. Paul says, that's who we are. You guys know who we are. For we do not commend ourselves again to you, but we give opportunity. We give you opportunity to glory on our behalf that you may have something to answer those who, who glory in appearance and not in heart. And what he's saying here is he's making a distinction. He's saying, listen... You know our lives and you know how we conduct our lives. We, we conduct our life for Christ. You ever have a, a Christian friend that when you're around, you're far more bold than you are when you're on your own? That Paul's going, hey, we're kind of those kind of people with you, right? I mean, here's the thing. When we're around, when you see what God is doing in our life, you, you listen to those who really there's something wrong with them preaching from the pulpit or there's something wrong in their ministries. There's something that's missing. There's a lot of pulpits that are missing something and I believe it's the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of pastors that are missing the point. They're making a point out of gathering people into a church. Let's say whatever they want to, to, to hear, you know. I shocked my wife and my in-laws the other day about watching a, a little video of a, of a pastor that just, it shocks you that he's willing to, to cast everything aside so that he has a popular church. Because he says, listen, if a book that is ancient actually is telling us how we're to live today, I think that's pretty and he uses an expletive. I think it's pretty refuse, you know, poopy. <laughs> He's because I think I think it's pretty horrible that that we rely on a book that's ancient to dictate to our lives what we are to do. I I grieve for people because that's not Jesus. Thinking what? And he just, he cusses through it. 
He goes, yeah, we, 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 we open our arms to everyone and anyone. And we don't, there's no, there's no, we don't talk about the old. We just kind of bring the message into where we are culturally. Just going, you know what? You're leading hundreds of people down a road to hell. You don't, you don't care about their souls. You care about your building. You care about your congregation. You, you, the, the, the people that are going are to come in to make up your congregation. I don't know what you're caring about, but you're not caring about what the Word of God says. If God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, which this pastor should have known, he wouldn't say, ah, it's an outdated book. And yet that's what's going on out there. We've got to be careful. There is a, there's, a, there's a war on Christianity right now. And it's been going on for a long time. The enemy is hitting at this book to cut the legs out from underneath, the power out from underneath the book. Because if he can do that, if he can take and make this just any other book, any other great ancient manuscript, if it's not an alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged word of God, that speaks to a person. If it's not that anymore, it's just another book. And if it's just another book, there's no power behind it. If there's no power, the enemy knows that. And so we are being hammered, not just in our society, but in the world, to basically try to discredit the Word of God, contradict the Word of God. And here's the thing. Paul's going, knowing the terror of the Lord, are you really going to do things like that? Really? Really? Have we gotten to a place where we are so advanced that we know more than the Lord? We're still learning. We're still learning. I believe in science. Oh? Is science your God? That's the, that's the, I have to see in order to believe. Do you know that you, if you were a scientist and you believed in science a hundred years ago and you believed in that and you lived for that, you know that today, if you still believed in all of that, you'd be laughed to scorn. Now, if you are today going, well, but that was then, today is today. Do you think that not in another hundred years they're not going to look at you and laugh at you for what you believe in today? Science is always catching up to the Word of God. It's always catching up to the Word of God. The Word of God talks about... Uh, one, there was one great chapter in that book. I don't know if you've read the, the, any more of that book, uh, Lalani, but there's one really cool chapter in there saying, hey, what we know about medicine, what we know about the human body, what we know about the outer space, what we know about the stars and the heavens... God gave to Moses. And we're just catching up to him right now. And we're still catching up to Moses. There was a time where everybody said, hey, the world's flat. No, Bible says, no, it's round. Bible talks about bacteria and washing away the bacteria. We didn't really catch on to that until probably about 80 years ago. To clean your hands and completely and totally get the bacteria off your hands and yet the word of God says no do that 
Do that under running water. Don't, not in a bowl, not in a basin, running water. Clean, cleanse, bacteria, agriculture, everything. The Word of God told us, and we're just catching up to it in science. He says, listen, uh, we don't commend ourselves again to you, but we give you opportunity to glory on our behalf so that you, have, that you may have something to answer those who glory in appearance and not in heart. So college professors that are, that are discrediting the word of God, Paul's going, hey, here's the thing. We're living for the Lord and these are the things that God is doing in our lives. That's something that a college professor can never refute. He can never refute these things that are going on. For if we're beside ourselves, it's for, it's for God. And if we are of a sound mind, it's for you. It's for you to bold, embolden you, to grow you up. For the love of Christ, it constrains us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. And so here's the thing. He says, it's the love of Christ which compels us or constrains us. It's the one thing that holds us together. The one thing that we don't even really still know, according to science. How does an atom stay together? How does an atom stay together? We still don't know. With all of our technological advancements, with all of our research, with the mind that we have as a human being living in 2017, we still don't know how that little sucker stays together. We have some theories, but they're just theories, and they can't be proven. And so therefore, it's faith. I see it stuck together, don't know how it is. Well, there's a theory that it could be this, it could be that, could be this, could be that. Don't know yet, but it is stuck together. How about the God particle? How about God? Nah, can't be that. It's got to be science. All right. All right. Paul says, what causes us to live our lives on a day-by-day basis, it's the love of Christ. It's the love of Christ. If you and I have anything other in our life that causes us to get up in the morning, causes us to go to sleep at night, if, if the love of Christ is not on that list and hopefully at the top of that list, again, your aim is in the wrong place. Paul says it's for the love of Christ which compels us. It drives us on. We wake up in the day. I wake up in the morning and I, I go, wow, another new day for you, Lord. When was the last time you woke up in the morning and said, Lord, new day. What do you want to do in my life? Paul says it's the love of Christ that compels us. It holds us together. It sticks me together with him. It's what holds me together. For the love of Christ constrains us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. And so here's the thing. And this and I'm going to finish here with this last illustration here. Paul's talking about he says for if one died, Jesus Christ, if he died, well then he died for a reason, right? He died for a reason, he died for all. I was just reading some of you guys know that there's a a guy, a very troubled football player by a guy by the name of Aaron Hernandez that just hung himself in prison. 
committed murder. He just got off a couple weeks ago from two other charges of murder, but he ended up supposedly committing suicide in prison. One thing I found interesting was that on his forward forehead was was uh, scribbled a scripture verse. I don't know if you know this, but John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. It's a verse that is very well known. Do you understand it? Do you understand what that that verse says? For God so loved the world. Who's the world? Huh? Everyone. For God so loved everyone that he gave his only begotten son Who's that? That's Jesus. That whoever would believe in him. Who's a whoever? Those who believe, right? Would not perish, but have everlasting life. One of the most famous verses of the Bible. Because it spells out the gospel. For God so loved mankind that he sent his son to die in his place. My last Easter Sunday message was talking about the blood. Why was it that Mary, why is it that Jesus had to be born of a virgin? This is the thing that really brought Lalani up to me and pointed it out to me. I don't know if you know this. I I don't know that I'd ever heard this. But I know it, it blew my mind. Do you know that, now, every one of you are going to go, oh, everybody knows that. Well, If so, then I was the only one that didn't know it, okay? I'm a pastor, and I didn't know it, okay? Here's the thing. Do you know science, even to this day, states that the blood of the mother never passes through her child? It never passes through the baby growing in her womb. Never. Her blood does not go into the bloodstream of the child that she's carrying. This is cool. The placenta is a, it's a, an interaction sack, if you will. Alright? That the baby has the blood vessels that supply blood to it to give it life. The blood goes through the placenta, in through the placenta, then back into the baby, back into the placenta, back into the baby. The blood from the mother goes from the mother into the placenta, out of the placenta, back into the mother, back into the placenta. But, here's the cool thing. The blood never touches each other inside the placenta. Here's the cool thing. All of the impurities in the baby's blood, because there's no way for it to expel the the wasted blood cells, the, the bad blood cells, it takes it into the placenta. And what happens is that it passes close to the mother's blood vessels and the nutri that the waste filters out of the blood and into the vein of the mother, which then takes the waste and carries it away into her body and she eliminates the waste of the baby. 
But the nutrition that the mother also takes in goes in through that blood and passes from the walls of her veins in, pass through. No blood ever changes, changes. But the nutrients, they seep from one blood vein in through the vein of the baby and the nutrients go in. Not the blood, but the nutrients go in and feed the baby. So the waste is expelled through the placenta into the mother's bud who passes it out. And the nutrients that pass into the placenta for the baby goes in and, and, and grows the baby up. But never do the blood veins of the baby and the mother ever meet. They just are next to each other. Is that just not amazing? Is God not amazing? That a baby grows that way? Why was the virgin birth so necessary? Because the Holy Spirit planted a seed in the mother. Because her blood was never going to infiltrate the baby who would be Jesus, the Son of God. His blood was pure. The baby starts with a little blastocyst and it just continues to grow and grow and grow and grow and grow. And pretty soon it creates its own blood. It creates its own placenta. It creates its own source. And as it continues to grow, they attach one with another with the, in the uterine wall and then the placenta begins to grow and the baby creates its own blood supply apart from the mom. I think that's fascinating. I think it's fascinating because the blood of Jesus was pure. We know that in Acts chapter 2, Paul or Peter, he says, you, say, you said, Lord, that you would not allow your Holy One to see corruption. His blood would not be corrupted. And so here's the thing. Jesus didn't have any corruptible ability in his blood. His blood was pure. In other words, his blood wouldn't stink. It wouldn't putrefy. It wouldn't, it wouldn't rot. And the, the point of all of this is his blood's pure. His blood was pure when it was shed on the cross for you and I. He didn't have any kids. That would have passed that pure blood into someone else. It's through the seed. It's through the seed. And the blood never the blood never passed in the sinful line of mankind. The only way that you and I absorb the blood of Christ is through faith. That's why Jesus shed his blood on the cross. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. And the blood of bulls and calves cannot redeem mankind. Only the precious blood of Jesus Christ could redeem you and me. If that one died for all, if one Jesus Christ died for all, then all died. Do you know that when you are born here on the earth, you are a dead man walking? You're a dead woman walking. The only way for you to be purified is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. He died for all, Paul says, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. 
gang, it's spelled out very clearly to you and I. The blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on a cross, he died for you and I. We must have this holy transfusion. It's the only way to heaven. Non-corruptible. And here's the thing. It's only going to happen that way. Paul goes, to think that God loved me that much, even while I was still a sinner, he would go to such extreme to do that for me. Why wouldn't I want to, why wouldn't I want to live for him? Why wouldn't I want to live my life for him? Why wouldn't I want to go and give that to someone else? Because it's not that his blood is only good enough for some, for only a set amount. It's for the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. What does that mean? It means everybody. God wants everybody to be saved. What does the enemy want? He wants everybody to not be saved. And so he's attacking the word of God. He's attacking the word of God. You and I are being attacked on a day-by-day basis. Every time we turn on that TV, we're being attacked. Every time we pick up a, a newspaper, every time we turn on our phone, every time we, we go to a restaurant and we overhear someone talking, we're, we're having the faith uh, in Christ attacked. Man, make your calling an election sure. Make sure you understand who you believe. Paul says, hey, it's the love of Christ that compels us, constrains us. It's what makes me tick. It's what makes us tick. What makes you tick? What gets you up in the morning? If we had an emergency, which could possibly happen at any time? I know that we're laughing at North Korea right now. We're going, ah, they don't have the ability. They can't even get a missile off the ground in their own place, you know, for testing. What if one gets through? What if imminent death is in front of you? Would, would your... Would your and I'm not trying to scare anybody in, into heaven. That's not my, my purpose. My purpose is just to bring the reality of life in front of you. Do you know that you're not guaranteed this next hour? In the next hour, one of you, one of us, might go out there and get wiped out. What was your, what was your relationship with the Lord? I hope and pray that it was right. Because there are not going to be second chances. And it's in that that I I just... Paul says, man, we're out here to try to persuade men that they need to know Christ because there is a day of terror coming. And man, knowing the terror of the Lord, should we do anything less? Should we do anything less? Gang, it's getting real. Getting real as Christians. Let's live for Jesus today. I don't want to beat anybody up. I don't want to beat anybody up when I walk out of this building. I just want to tell them about how much God loves them and how much He went to such extremes to give them a chance to go to heaven. But it's only through His door. It can't be through somebody else's door. It's not by going to church. It's not by going to this church. It's not by listening to me. It's by listening to Christ. It's by opening up His Word and seeing what His Word has to say to you and me. Amen. Does that make sense? Father, thank You so much for today. And I pray, Lord, that You would... Bless the rest this weekend, Lord, as we live our lives for you. Lord, help us to understand what constrains us, what compels us, what, what it is that holds us together, what it is it that wakes us up in the morning. I pray, Lord, that every single one of us can walk out of here with a newfound uh, 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 appreciation 
for your blood, for your sacrifice, for your resurrection, knowing it even a little bit more now. I pray, God, that each one of us can walk out of here knowing that we have a true purpose in life, and that purpose in life is to follow you, to serve you. It doesn't mean that I have to be a pastor. It doesn't mean I have to be a missionary. It can just mean that I just have got to be a man or a woman that lives my life going through my job, going through the family that I'm with, living in the same place that I am, but just living for the Lord. Not that I've got to be the goody-goody two-shoes. I just want to please you, Lord. Let people say what they want to say about me. I want to please you. I want to live for you. I don't want to be dic- I don't want life to dictate to me anymore. I don't want my life to be lived in the fear of what others think. I want more so to live my life based upon what you think, O oh Lord, first and foremost and always. Lord, I pray that if that's anybody's prayer here today, Lord, that you would just do a mighty work in their mind, in their mind, in their heart, in their actions as they leave this place today. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for listening. So, did Jesus cause a change in you today? Or do you need prayer? We'd love to hear from you please contact us by visiting our website at calvarychapelcf.com or call our office at 941-926-3717. That's 941-926-3717. Again, thanks for listening to In the Word.